0: Hello and welcome to a mini-episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by filmdivider.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Superman and Avengers Age of Ultron episodes. In today's episode, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended on last week's show. Those were The Man of Steel and All-Star Superman. But before we get to those, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. So, the first trailer for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, excellent title, finally arrived online in glorious HD. Um, Ahead of its IMAX debut but after its unfortunate pirated leak online. After having watched the final glorious HD version, I'm personally pretty intrigued by how Affleck's apparently rage-filled Batman will react to the feeling of impotence he must have felt during the events of Man of Steel, and also the examination of a world which rebels against its superheroes, which, while I think has kind of been explored in other superhero films before, has never really been gone into in great depth. And yes, it does look very grimdark, and while I am an MCU fanboy, I'm happy that there is space for all these types of films in the world, different tones, different colour palettes, but let's just hope it's good. I reached out to Seb and James uh, individually for their thoughts on the trailer, and here's what they had to say about it. Uh, Seb emailed me, saying, It's basically everything that I would have expected from it. Mildly interested in the world-reacting-badly-to-Superman angle, but not expecting it to be handled very well by this. Also, I'd love to know why those guards seem to have S-shields on their arm. And Affleck looks great, which I agree. Affleck looks great. (laughs) And then from James, one of Zack Snyder's strengths is that he knows how to construct a shot so that it resembles a comic panel. I'm certain that this movie will look great. Beyond that, I have zero interest in the depressing, cynical, borderline fascist film this trailer promises, and I really hope it's not in any way indicative of the movie we get. Staying in the DC Cinematic Universe, Michelle McLaren will no longer direct Wonder Woman, parting with the project after what was said to be creative differences. Variety reported that McLaren wanted to make an epic origin story in the vein of Braveheart, while Warner wanted a more character-driven story, less focused on action, and that they were concerned by McLaren's lack of big screen experience. Which begs the question, why hire her in the first place? And had they not seen her episodes of Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad? Boggles the mind. Monster director Patty Jenkins was swiftly hired to replace McLaren, who of course was previously set to direct Thor The Dark World, but was replaced by another Game of Thrones director, Alan Taylor, again explained as being down to creative differences. Blimey. We got a second trailer for Fantastic Four, and it is a lot more dialogue heavy, a lot more character focused, and has a touch of humour in there as well. After giving us a better idea of who the characters are and putting a great degree of emphasis on quite how intelligent Miles Teller's Reed Richards is, the trailer then confirms that the team travel to another dimension where they acquire their powers. Then we get a lot of all the characters powered up in a lot more detail, including a close-up of Doctor Doom for the first time. Uh, It seems like certainly a step in the right direction after the first teaser. Um, The cast still looks suitably fantastic. And it looks like Jamie Bell's Thing won't be wearing any pants, unlike Chicklis' version did. So read into that what you will. And it seems like ages ago now, but we also got a new trailer for Ant-Man, which also seemed to receive pretty well compared to those who were kind of doubting the film based on its first teaser trailer and its production history. Most of that goodwill seems to stem from a single and rather excellent visual joke in the trailer uh, that reveals that Thomas the Tank Engine has a cameo in the movie. Now there is a cinematic universe we'd like to see explored on the big screen. Fat Controller spin-off movie? Yes, please. But, please, uh, this is an appeal for common sense, because no matter whether Ant-Man turns out to be a success or not, let's not just credit everything good about it to Edgar Wright, as I saw a lot of on Twitter with the train gag in the trailer, and assume that everything bad about it is down to Peyton Reed. It's just too simplistic and, frankly, unfair to the artists involved when we have no idea what they brought to the table. Nicole Perlman, one of the credited writers of Guardians of the Galaxy, and Meg LaFauve, co-writer of Pixar's upcoming Inside Out, are in talks to write Captain Marvel together. The film is currently due to arrive in July 2018, and while there have been rumours circling that Angelina Jolie has been lined up as a possible director, we're told that that, in fact, isn't the case, but that Marvel are currently in the process of meeting potential directors. We would be stunned if that director wasn't female, and um, in an exciting turn of events, it appears that Michelle McLaren's schedule just opened up. Screenwriter John Ridley, whose credits include 12 Years a Slave, American Crime, and Red Tales, is developing a potential series with Marvel Television. The project was described by Entertainment Weekly as, quote, reinventing an existing Marvel superhero character or property for ABC. So, is that the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. spin-off? Uh, is it the continuing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show? Or is it something new entirely? Uh, it sounds like it's in the early stages of development regardless and may not even come to fruition. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Dominic Cooper has finally been confirmed in the lead role of Jesse Custer in AMC's Preacher Adaptation. And, hot on the heels of that announcement, we heard that Elizabeth Perkins was joining the cast in the role of now bear with me here, Viola Cannon a businesswoman who owns the local slaughterhouse. Olivia Munn is joining the X-Men Apocalypse cast in the role of Betsy Braddock, aka Psylocke, and after speaking briefly to Seven James about the character, I'm already mightily confused, although I'm sure there will be legions of nerds eager to see her in a costume that is faithful to the comic books. Apocalypse seems to be having an ever-expanding cast, but if Days of Future Past taught us anything, it's that they will likely have... A lot of minor roles for some mutants. Oh, and completely coincidentally, it turns out that Lucas Till is also returning as Havoc. Okay, let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. Okay, let's start off with Seb's recommendation, which was The Man of Steel from John Byrne and Dick Giordano. I kind of have to start with this. First, because it comes first chronologically... But also, I'd probably run out of brain function if I talked about All-Star Superman first. So uh, that's my way of saying that The Man of Steel is a much more easily uh, comprehensible series. It is very much like a a lovely midpoint in between the 78 Superman that we discussed on the show last week and Lois and Clark, which... I've mainlined a season and a bit of in the past couple of weeks and um, really, really love in a knowingly cheesy kind of way. So this is actually this is actually a great little six issue series that I can imagine if I'd have read this, I'd have gone, oh, I'd be interested in continuing to read Superman comics after this if I'd have read it at the time. And to be honest, I'd, I'd be interested in going back and reading good Superman stories that followed in the wake of The Man of Steel, because it kind of like ticked all of the boxes for me, set up a universe, set up a character that I understood and recognised enough from the other versions. So it's, it's kind of neatly split up. So the first issue does the Kryptonian origins of uh, Superman. It then gives you a bit of teenage Superman. It then gives you his first heroics in Metropolis, and it gives you him putting on the costume for the first time. I really really like the on stuff. It got across a lot of stuff to me that I, I think better than any other version of Superman screen Superman I've ever seen has. Like the fact that it was kind of the formation of radioactive kryptonite that was leading to the destruction of Krypton and and was killing people on Krypton. That's a far more explicable way of telling me why kryptonite is dangerous to Clark than I've ever seen on screen. And the prologue's really nifty in that way, of that first issue. It gets across lots of information really effortlessly and then sends him down to Earth. I, I wasn't quite sure he doesn't quite find out about his powers until he's 18 properly. He doesn't... Find out that he came from a spaceship. That's the first time that Mar and pa can tell him. Then, when he goes to Metropolis, he kind of reveals his powers in a way that is very reminiscent of Lois and Clark. Um, there's a decent explanation of why his suit doesn't get damaged and when his mum is making the suit for him, which is again very Lois and Clark. And then the second issue, which is all about Lois, you get uh, some lovely relationship stuff between the character of Superman and Lois. And it's something that I've not really grasped because I've always been more of a a Lois and Clark guide, but. I guess the key relationship with Lois Lane is the one that she has with Superman and not the one that she has with Clark Kent. The third and fourth issues, we've we, we got a Batman issue followed by a Lex issue. I think this is the first time that I've probably seen Batman and Superman on on the page together. i got the brief bit at the end of um, Death in the Family, uh, which was uh, Batman punching Superman. But um, I kind of like their relationship here. Them kind of feeling each other out and Batman being kind of prepared for Superman's arrival and willing to justify his different means of fighting crime to Superman and explain why that their situations were different and they had to act differently. It was very interesting you know, kind of reading that uh, a day after Batman vs Superman trailer arrived. I I am interested in the Batman and Superman dynamic and I guess I'm going to have to read The Dark Knight Returns before long. And then the Lex introduction I kind of like Lex. I like the version of Lex where he is a businessman rather than just a a generic supervillain. I like the idea that he's a powerful man in the city who is threatened by Superman's power that I, I do like that version I think it was around this era that was introduced because it certainly isn't the case in the 78 movie so I like that version of Superman without being totally blown away by the Lex Luthor of this comic and then we get the Bizarro Superman issue which was yeah, Seb kind of said that it was a bit strange that this was this was a series that was reintroducing all the core tenets of what Superman is and what Superman comics are and I guess if Bizarro Superman is a big part of that then fine but I didn't find it particularly interesting and then I kind of felt that the sixth issue petered out a little bit as well with Clark finally discovering he was an alien I was like oh, you didn't get that already? You thought you were from Russia? Really? But yes, yeah, so, and we get we get a bit more stuff with Lana and Jorel and it's fine, uh but it did but like I say, it did piece her out, but most of all, I thought it was like a really nice, efficient six issues that made me want to read more Superman comics in a way that all Star Superman did not, and I'll get to that, but also just to compare it to all Star Superman. The Man of Steel, I kind of, I mean, I'm kind of struggling to discuss this now because I read it before All-Star Superman and All-Star Superman just blew my mind and felt like it was overloading me with information in every panel. And by the time I got to recording the podcast, I was like, oh, I should remind myself what happened in The Man of Steel. It feels like I read it months ago and it was just a couple of days, but it was because All-Star Superman came in between. Right, so let's get started on All-Star Superman. I would say I've never felt less qualified to talk about comic books than on this one. One. It was just kind of this mind blowing twelve issues of just stuff happening everywhere that uh, obviously i got the i got the idea of the concepts from james and I kind of like two or three issues in I was on an email thread with Seven James going so am I supposed to know these characters what, uh, are these all concepts that I'm supposed to understand is this all in existing continuity like what's going on and, but they were like no no it's its own self contained story and it's old continuity but it's riffing on all these other things that happened kind of in the silver age of Superman and paying tribute to basically the entire history of Superman in, in one fell swoop and doing loads of crazy things and they kind of have some context but you don't have to have that context to enjoy the fun that the, the stories and characters create on the page. And I think kind of was a bit of a turning point for me because I was kind of reading the first three or four issues just being so overwhelmed by everything that was going on and confused and just there is so much happening it's just it is like it's undeniably a romp but it's is very intimidating for someone like me. But kind of when I when I understood or when I got to grips more with what that concept was, I started to enjoy it a whole lot more. And also the more I started to think about it in the time since or in the time between reading an issue and reading the next issue and reminding myself what happened before I found myself enjoying it almost more in retrospect and the ideas and the, the little things that had cropped up. So we start with essentially Lex Luthor has come up with a plan to get Superman to fly so close to the sun that the solar energy overwhelms his cells and that means that Superman is dying. In the short term he's stronger because he's supercharged by the sun but inevitably he he's gonna die unless he can do something about it and he knows this because He has conversations with this guy who works for this, like, space research group called Project. He looks like a space-age Willy Wonka, basically, this scientist. And by doing this... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. Lex is then imprisoned and Superman kind of resolves to get his affairs in order and tells Lois that Clark Kent is in fact Superman. Uh, But it's a really funny running gag all the way through the comics is that like all the other characters will do anything they can to not believe that Clark is Superman. Clark can literally stand in front of them dressed as Clark Kent, take his clothes off and be Superman and they'll they'll go oh great one Superman that was a really good Clark Kent impression you did right there Which which is a funny running gag Um, I really liked that. So then we get kind of a couple of issues that are Lois focused, uh, where he kind of explains to Lois and Lois starts to fear him a little bit, uh, thinks that, understands that he's changed and that he's hiding something from her. And the thing that he's hiding from her is is that he's dying. But eventually he, he then gives her this vial, uh, which turns her into Superwoman for a day and gives her all these superpowers and flies around with her. Um, and this was kind of the first issue that I started to really like was the third one where Lois was, um, Superwoman, which... I assumed it was a riff. Uh, James later confirmed it was a riff on something that had happened earlier in Superman lore, and it's a really, really fun issue. And they run into these two characters called Samson and Atlas, who I've no idea whether they have like a basis in Superman history or not, or whether they were created by um, Grant Morrison for the page. Oh, sorry, I should have credited that. This is this comic from Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. Um, it's taken me that long to uh, to get to that. Um, but yeah they' they 're really fun they 're these like time travelers, and they have manipulated coming to superman 's time so that they can at the same time as trying to romance Lois um, and trying to beat Superman in feats of strength to win her heart they want Superman to answer the Sphinx's unanswerable question which he then does and they inform him that like in the future that he is dead but it was said that he performed these 12 labours Herculean 12 labours before he died and that becomes a theme as you're running through the comics like these 12 labours now I was never entirely sure what they were from reading the page but I have tracked down uh, an interview with Grant Morrison where he lists the labours, which I'll, I'll get to at the end of this conversation. So that was a really, really fun issue. Those two characters were brilliant and um, I love the idea of this kind of uh, pasting on kind of like Greek myth stuff to Superman as well as all the religious allegory that's already always there. Then we got a Jimmy Olsen issue which was the one that prompted me to email Seven James because it just, it, it was so confusing to me Jimmy Olsen was this crazy feature reporter but he was also going off on these weird Superman-esque adventures and he has a watch that called Superman which is something that I recognise from Lois and Clark, it's always going to pay off watching Lois and Clark. But I just didn't understand the issue and I was like wait is Jimmy supposed to be a girl because he was wearing a bra in like one of the first panels but I think that was just like a riff a callback to a Silver Age comic where Jimmy dressed as a girl to get a story that one was a little bit too out there for me and there was some black kryptonite which turned Superman evil five I really loved which was Clark Kent interviewing Lex Luthor in prison um and Lex completely underestimating Clark Kent or completely probably accurately estimating Clark Kent as he is in his Clark Kent Uh, persona. But I kind of liked the the way that All-Star Superman seemed to kind of explore, like, not that... It wasn't that when Kal-El was being Clark Kent that he was in costume, and it wasn't that when Kal-El was being Superman that he was in costume, uh, that kind of both of those were personas that he adopted, and the real Superman lies somewhere in between. I like the, I like to think that all of the Superman adaptations that I've seen, any time that I've seen him on screen, it's very rare that you actually get to see the real guy, and that in fact the real guy that you see is the guy that you see probably in Smallville, and that's the only time you see him, which is perfect because then we get the sixth issue it goes back to Smallville for this insane issue where these future supermen turn up for this again time travelling adventure which teenage Clark Kent a Superboy who also has a super dog with him gets tied up in and it's this crazy crazy insane story as so much that happens in uh, All-Star Superman is but at the heart of it you get this really touching moment where Superman gets this final moment with Park Kent that he was denied when he was was actually a teenager when his dad died so it's just this really super touching moment at the, the kind of midpoint of this 12 issue story and then we get issue seven and eight which is kind of a two-parter and i felt there was two two-parters in this almost like uh, and whenever there was kind of a two-part story the first part always felt a little bit short-changed so like in the the second and third issues we got like a two-part lowest story the first part is definitely inferior seven and eight we've got bizarro a bizarro attack issue which again i was kind of like i I was with the man of steel like "Ah, bizarro i'm just really not sure i'm interested in bizarro um which but it's then followed up by issue eight which is introduces this character i think he's introduced at the end of seven but he is there all the way through eight who is zibaro who is kind of like a bizarro bizarro superman who is trapped on a planet of bizarro supermen and bizarro people in general, because there's a bizarro Jor-El there as well. Le Roj, he's called. <laughs> it's very good. But Zibaro is kind of like this existential angsty character who kind of is desperate to be on another world with superman with people like him that can see beauty in the world rather than all of these weird twisted bizarro creatures um and it's just really it's a really tragic but like introspective interesting issue all the time clark is trying to perform another one of his uh 12 labors by getting off of the Bizarro planet, the Underverse I think it was and Getting Back Home. And again all of these concepts just made little sense to me but there was so much fun in the storytelling and the artwork is incredible like consistently incredible. I've, I've had problems with some of the like designs I've seen of Superman in the past that I kind of like don't like as a rule when superheroes are like super super muscly. Like it's kind of one of the things that turned me off Deadpool. You could see every muscle bulging out of his costume. I liked that Superman looked like the Man of Steel he looked like a properly godlike Adonis, but that he wasn't beyond the realms of ridiculousness. So I always appreciated that kind of drawing of this character. Issue 9 there was kind of a, a slightly weaker issue where some Kryptonians visited Earth, but, uh, but again explored some interesting and confusing concepts. <laughs> And the 10th issue is perhaps the most dense. It kind of hops around in time. And also to to this other kind of world that Superman has created when he's been creating life. But there's also a a lovely lovely page in this where he saves a girl from jumping. Which uh, I've seen has been actually going around on Twitter this week as a kind of reaction to the... um, Batman vs Superman trailer. So kind of loads to enjoy this issue and loads of stuff going around and some nice touches with Clark and Lois again or Superman and Lois but just crazy i couldn't begin to explain what happens in that issue in fact and then 11 and 12 is again it's kind of a two-parter lex manages to escape the electric chair by becoming superpowered and unleashes a red sun on earth because that will depower superman but superman has designed a new suit for himself which will protect him from the red sun and he fights that but that turns the red sun actually turns out to be some kind of monster that wants to engulf stuff and eventually kind of kills Superman by the end of the issue. I'm just going to keep saying it. it's very weird, very strange but very enjoyable in the reading. And then the 12th issue pays all of that off. Uh, Superman kind of is existing in kind of it. He is dead but he kind of his consciousness hasn't fully gone yet so he manages to get back into his body have one last showdown with Lex Luthor depowers Lex Luthor by using gravity which is a relationship with time. <laughs> And eventually there is just these incredible final few pages where Superman accepts his fate that he's going to die and has this brilliant final kiss with Lois before he flies up into the earth and kind of saves the sun and keeps the sun working by building it an artificial heart. And then the the issue also ends with this uh, kind of tease that Superman has left the formula to create a Superman 2 in the future, which we kind of know is going to be successful because of all the future Supermen. So yeah, an an incredibly intimidating but entertaining read. It kind of blew my mind. I think I probably read it too fast. Because uh, such is the nature of this podcast, I kind of have to read these two comics in a week. And this this week it happened that there was you know 18 full issues that I had to read. But um, James was absolutely right. Six issues in, I, I could have stopped, but I just I wanted to read the whole thing. Um, it kind of overwhelmed the Man of Steel, which I, I really liked and would like to read more. And that's what I kind of mean. Like, I would like to read more in the Man of Steel vein of like ongoing Superman stories. These 12 issues of All-Star Superman, I couldn't imagine how you would continue other than to maybe do another like 12 issue self-contained series about Superman 2 sometime in the future or that about those kind of like Superman characters. I'm not sure that I would... I'm not sure that you could keep up that pace and keep paying off all this different stuff for much longer than, than Grant Morrison and, and uh, Frank Whiteley did. Um, so get back to those 12 labours that I said uh, he pulls off. So the 12 labours he pulls off in the comics are um, he saves the first manned mission to the sun, he then brews the super elixir, which is what he gives to Lois to make her superpowered for 24 hours, he answers the unanswerable question, he chains the Cronovore, uh, which is the character that attacks during the during the time he spends in Smallville with the other Supermen, the Future Supermen. Um, he saves Earth from Bizarro home. He then returns from the Undiverse. He creates life. He liberates Kandor and cures cancer, which is something I didn't even mention in there, which is frankly unbelievable. There is like a Kryptonian kind of world existing in a glass in his Fortress of Solitude, which he eventually takes to Mars to begin a new community up there. But also because they're they're kind of mini people, he gets the mini people to fly into his own cells to kind of cure him on (laughs) the short term um, and then sends them into cancer patients to save them as well. It's just nuts. Um, he then defeats Solaris, which is kind of the fake red sun. He then conquers death by coming back from death. And then he builds an artificial heart for the sun. And then the final one is that he leaves the recipe formula to make Superman 2. Yeah, I, and just one final thing that I don't think I mentioned there. Um, I really liked this take on Lex Luthor. You, you completely got the internal psychology of this character. And it's the first time that I've read Lex Luthor on a page and gone... Oh this guy is fun this guy is witty and he's he's like an enjoyable character to be around particularly in the in, in the issue that he's taking Clark around the prison he's quipping and he's 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 a hugely entertaining character to be around but also he's completely sick and twisted and he kind of blames superman for him not being able to make the world a better place um but superman sees through that although you you never get the sense that Lex doesn't believe it um, so yeah that was another thing I liked about this comic um, but I should probably leave it there because I, I could talk about also Superman for ages I will probably read it again in the future. I know I've got so many comics that I'm going to read. But that is it for this week. Don't forget that the next episode of Cinematic Universe will be covering Avengers Age of Ultron, which will be released here in the UK on Thursday the 23rd of April, which is like a day after we're releasing this mini-show. So we are actually going to be releasing our Age of Ultron episode earlier than usual, uh, just one day after its UK release on Friday the 25th. So you won't have to wait a week- Week for the next episode is actually gonna be here in two days. We appreciate that some of you may not have had the chance to see the film by then, especially you who are in other countries who, you know, won't have a chance to see it released even for another week. And so we were we will for that reason aim to make the first part of our discussion spoiler-free, but we'd suggest you save listening to the episode until you've seen the film at least to avoid spoilers. But we basically we wanted to make sure that as soon as you'd seen the film, the podcast would be ready for you to listen to. Um, and unless you see it on the very first day of release in the UK that, that you will be able to so that's it um, a very early cinematic universe this week if you're enjoying the show then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Player FM or your podcast app of choice and if you've already subscribed then please leave us a rating or review and we'll give you a shout out on next week's show not on the Avengers Age of Ultron show you can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com panelbeats.co.uk or as we're a Film Divider podcast at filmdivider.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at cu underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. See you in two days!